Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the Supreme Court has long been considered the most distinguished branch of government. But is it just another broken institution? Dr. Scott Gerber discusses Supreme Court reform at the University of Findlay's upcoming Constitution Day event. We'll get a preview. Also this morning, it won't be long before we transition from cooling our homes to heating our homes, which means it's time for some routine maintenance on those systems because caring for them is a lot cheaper than replacing them. And weather emergencies are becoming more frequent and more severe. With winter coming, are you Red Cross ready? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. you're looking for a reason to celebrate, it is Salami Day today. So what more do you need? We could just end right there. It is Salami Day. There you go. But there's more. It is National Acorn Squash Day. (laughs) Have some salami and acorn squash today. Mmm, that's good eating right there. It is Grandma Moses Day. Google Commemoration Day which I think is interesting. I was going to look that up, and uh, I didn't get the chance. Because I'm thinking, there's got to be a story behind that. Google Commemoration Day. National Beer Lovers Day. Here's another beer holiday. Or Beer Commemoration Celebration Day. National Beer Lovers Day. National Feel the Love Day. (laughs) You give me a beer today, we'll feel the love. National Grateful Patient Day. And it is Superhuman Day. Reasons to uh, celebrate today. So the uh, big story that everybody was buzzing about uh, yesterday, Cedar Point announced that they are closing the Top Thrill Dragster for good. In a uh, uh, in an announcement yesterday on social media, which I thought was really interesting, uh, they put this on Facebook and they uh, shared it on Twitter as well and on all of their social media platforms. They disabled the comments sections so people could not comment, at least directly on the Cedar Point social media pages about the closing announcement of the Top Thrill Dragster. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, But uh, it was kind of a cryptic. And Cedar Point is famous for their uh, cryptic announcements where they're sort of teasing things at the same time as they are announcing other things. But uh, my son and I were having this uh, conversation yesterday when the story broke and we were texting back and forth. And uh, they did not say that the Top Thrill Dragster was being closed or removed. The way they worded it was that the Top Thrill Dragster, as you know it, is being retired but that they are busy at work reimagining the experience, which to me sounded very similar to the announcement they made before converting the mean streak into Steel Vengeance. And I think we can all agree that Steel Vengeance is a much better thrill ride than Mean Streak ever was. I mean, it's a great coaster. And so I wonder what they are going to be doing with Top Thrill Thrill Dragster. Now, maybe they'll be dismantling it, removing it. Maybe it's gone. Who knows? Um, 
But it was a, a very interesting message that they posted. That's not what they said. They didn't say they were removing it or closing it necessarily, just that they were retiring it and reimagining the experience. So, Top Thrill Dragster, of course, the second tallest roller coaster in the world with a peak point of 420 feet above terra firma. Um, but the, uh, what is it, 19 running seasons, 18 million riders over the years, but it is a ride that has been plagued by problems almost since it opened. Most recently, in 2021, when a metal object detached from the ride and struck a person waiting in the queue line, and uh, that pretty much was the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were. It's been closed ever since. So we'll see what happens next. It's hard to imagine Cedar Point without that 420-foot tall behemoth as part of the skyline there. And I know that that's one of the things that has made this decision difficult for the park and for the company to remove the second tallest roller coaster in the world from a park that is built its reputation on roller coasters. So we'll see what happens. But by the way, the uh, King Ka roller coaster at Six Flags Great Adventure in New Jersey, which is very similar to the Top Thrill Dragster, different theming, but very similar ride, uh, actually is the tallest coaster at 456 feet. So... Again, we'll see what happens, but that was a big uh, buzzworthy story yesterday. And did you hear this? Uh, speaking of tourist attractions in Ohio, you'll hear about this on Monday. They had some anxious moments at the Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo. Uh, guests had to be moved indoors for a time uh, as zoo workers searched for an escaped wolf, a Mexican gray wolf had at some point Monday morning uh, escaped its habitat. And nobody was sure exactly where this wolf was. Uh, the uh, search for the animal uh, lasted about an hour. Staff eventually located the wolf, tranquilized it, returned it to its enclosure. But uh, the story doesn't say whether they know how the wolf escaped. That's what I want to know. I mean, <laughs> I'm hoping you realize how this happened and have uh, fixed whatever uh, whatever point that you had the the weak spot in the enclosure that allowed the wolf to escape. And so anyway, no uh, no one was injured uh, in the whole thing, but uh, some anxious moments to be sure. That was on uh, Labor Day Monday. So the uh, numbers are in on uh, Labor Day travel. By the way, uh, the number of people traveling by air over the holiday weekend, as measured by the number that went through airport security checkpoints surpassed pre-pandemic levels for the uh, for the time uh, of the Labor Day weekend holiday. So travel back to normal. More than 8.7 million people passed through airport security from Friday through Monday, and that beat the Labor Day weekend of 2019 before the pandemic, the last one before the pandemic. So... The uh, TSA said yesterday it was a first for a holiday weekend uh, since the since all of this started. So that is a big milestone in terms of, quote unquote, returning to normal. Although there have been air travel delays and disruptions throughout the summer, 
things were relatively calm for the Labor Day weekend. Uh, FlightAware, the uh, airline tracking service, FlightAware, said airlines canceled just 640 flights over the four-day weekend. I mean, there were points this summer where they were getting 600 cancellations a day, uh, if not three or four times that. So to only have to cancel 640 flights over an extended four-day holiday weekend, that's doing pretty good. Um, Let's see here. It says it was... 0.6% 0.6% of the total number of flights had to be canceled. That less than one-third the cancel cancellation rate between the 1st of June and uh, Labor Day. Delays were also down. So, all in all, things were very smooth in the airports, which I thought was, uh, was interesting. Now that summer vacation season is over, though, they turn their attention to getting business travelers back in the air. Because with people not taking vacations as much, uh, business travel becomes the bread and butter for the airlines in terms of profit, especially since business travelers generally pay higher fares than do leisure travelers. So now that we're past Labor Day, they really are hoping to get more business travelers back in the air. But things seem to be getting back. You know, the other thing that's getting back to normal post-pandemic, Jehovah's Witnesses are resuming their door-to-door ministry. In the U.S. I saw this story on the Newswire this morning and I was like, now this, now we know we are back to normal. After taking a break for the past two and a half years due to the coronavirus pandemic, Jehovah's Witnesses reviving the practice they consider critical to their faith. Um, On Thursday, members of the Christian denomination visited homes across the country for the first time since March of 2020 to share literature and uh, talk about God as part of their evangelism. There are nearly 9 million Jehovah's Witnesses worldwide, etc., etc., etc. But the uh, the door-to-door witnessing of Jehovah's Witnesses has resumed. So now we know (laughs) life is is definitely returning to normal. Uh, And a couple of other uh, items here among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. It is Wednesday already. You realize that? It was the middle of the week already. I love these four-day weeks. This is uh, big news. Tinder is now 10 years old. The popular dating app has reached its uh, 10th anniversary Um, for a full decade. We've been swiping right on potential partners. And according to Tinder experts, online dating experts, the best way to protect uh, to perfect your profile, if you are on Tinder uh, looking to make a match, the best way to perfect your profile, number one, have either a dog or an Apple product in your photo. <laughs> your profile photo include a dog. Those are very popular or an Apple product, an Apple device <laughs> in your photo that uh, that increases your likelihood of getting a match, they say. But uh, overly or overtly sexy photos and uh, very direct pickup lines in a profile are actually a turnoff. For men, it is advised to keep your shirt on in photos. Don't go shirtless. And use a more subtle message. 
And for the ladies, taking a selfie from a an angle above from above can help boost your chances. So there you go. That's what they say. And uh, by the way, speaking of relationships, I thought this was kind of interesting. Chew on this here. Think about this. A, a new study has revealed that in long-term relationships, men like to believe that they are the funnier one. They, uh, they talked to 149 couples who had been together for an average of seven years, and they asked them how often they joked with one another and if they thought their partner's jokes were funny. And researchers found that men told more jokes than women, and men believe their jokes are funnier. And men seem to be happier if their partner believes that their jokes are funnier. So, <laughs> we're very self-conscious about this, apparently, as guys. We, uh, we like to think that we are the funnier one. Uh, again, emphasis on the words, we like to think we are the funnier one. <laughs> that's how that's how we're having results the uh, researchers say results suggest that men may feel more uh well adjusted in their relationship with women when women underrate their own jokes but overrate their partner's jokes in other words a simple way to please your man ladies and make your relationship last is to let him think that he is funnier than you which I know that the women get together later and laugh about. <laughs> you know, they just say, yes, honey, you're very funny. And then they go off in the corner and they, they laugh about it. They laugh at us. <laughs> so in that sense, I guess we are funnier in that respect. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly sunny skies are expected today with a high of 80. It'll be mostly clear tonight, low of 55. Flag City Honor Flight is holding three flights this year in an effort to catch up after being grounded for two years by the pandemic. Their first flight was in June and the next one will be on Tuesday. Bob Weinberg, president of Flag City Honor Flight, on why these flights are so important. You know, none of those veterans, especially the World War II guys, are getting any younger. They're all up in their, up in their 90s, so... He says Flag City Honor Flight will be taking 83 area veterans to Washington on Tuesday to visit the war memorials built in their honor. The public is welcome and encouraged to attend the homecoming celebration that night when the flight returns to Toledo. Get more on the website. Donald Trump is coming to Ohio for a rally in support of Senate hopeful J.D. Vance. The event will be in Youngstown on September 17th. Vance is taking on Democrat Tim Ryan for the Senate seat being vacated by Rob Portman. There's yet another delay in one of the biggest murder trials in Ohio history. The jury has already toured the crime scene, but the trial of George Wagner IV in Pike County now won't start until September 12th because someone involved in the case is ill. No word whom. Wagner is one of four members of his family charged with multiple counts, including aggravated murder in the execution-style shooting deaths of eight members of the Roden family in 2016, allegedly over a custody dispute. I'm Jack Crumley. Despite winning their season opener, Ohio State football dropped one spot in the latest USA Today coaches poll. The Buckeyes dropped from second to third despite beating then number five Notre Dame on Saturday at Ohio Stadium. 
Georgia moved up one spot to number two behind Alabama. Ohio State will play Arkansas State on Saturday at noon in the Horseshoe. Tickets for the 37th Annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Induction Ceremony go on sale to the public on Friday. The ceremony is scheduled for Saturday, November 5th in Los Angeles. This year's inductees include the Eurythmics, Pat Benatar, Duran Duran, and Dolly Parton, among others. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. And now to our cover story this morning. The Supreme Court has long been considered one of the most distinguished or the most distinguished branch of government. But today, some say it's just another broken institution. We are joined this morning by Dr. Scott Gerber. He's a professor at the Ohio Northern University Pettit School of Law and an Associated Scholar of the Brown University Political Theory Project. Uh, He's going to be talking about Supreme Court reform at the University of Findlay's Constitution Day event one week from today, uh, next Wednesday, the 14th, 7 p.m. at the Ritz Auditorium at Old Main. And uh, Scott, for we talk about Supreme Court uh, reform, first of all, uh, it, it should be noted that this is not the huge hurdle that maybe some believe it is. I mean, it's a huge hurdle, but uh, the the Constitution itself uh, has relatively few guidelines for what the Supreme Court should look like. Yeah, correct. Um, the Constitution says that the Supreme Court must exist, so there must be a Supreme Court, mm-hmm. but it doesn't say how many justices need to serve on it. It also says that they enjoy life tenure during good behavior, and it also says that their pay cannot be diminished while they're in office, and that they're a separate institution of government. Yeah. That's all it says. Yeah. And over the years, there have been uh, a number of variations, particularly in the number of justices that have comprised the Supreme Court. Correct. Uh, the number is uh, set by statute by Congress, and as you said, it, it's varied over the years, but for the last long time, it's been nine, mm-hmm. and it's nine at the moment. And one of the uh, reform uh, proposals is to expand the number. Right, which would probably be constitutionally uh, the easiest way to, quote-unquote, reform the court. But there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of folks, you know, that's a, a matter of debate. Is, is nine the right number in your estimation? Um, well, I th- nine is actually pretty big. Uh, if you've ever been on a committee, nine people on a committee, it's hard to... You yeah. know, get people to herd cats, as they say. <laughs> uh, and and given how relatively few cases they have, they don't need nine to get their work done. Hmm. So, but you know, my position on that is, although I'm not wedded to nine, I am troubled if the reason to change the number is just partisan. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. You talk about nine being too many because many of the proposals have been to add justices, not remove them. So that's kind of uh, interesting. And there are always rumblings and grumblings about the Supreme Court and the direction of the court, particularly when a decision comes down that one side or the other doesn't particularly agree with. And you always hear some squawking about uh, you know doing something about the uh, Supreme Court. But it 
does seem that this idea of reform today really picked up after the rather unconventional ways that a couple of high-profile vacancies were recently filled uh, with uh, the uh, Merrick Garland nomination that didn't even get a hearing in Congress, and then with the Amy Coney Barrett nomination that uh, some viewed as being rushed through uh, before the uh, last presidential election. So, uh, is this any more than or any more significant? Should we place any more significance on the idea of reforming the court today than other times that we've heard uh, in the past when people just don't like some of the decisions that get handed down? Um, well, I, I think it's a little uh, bit more prominent now, a little bit more in the uh, uh, media. You know, people are louder about it that don't like the conservative court. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you put your finger on it. People that on the left want to add justices or set term limits or age limits because they don't like the decisions the Supreme Court issued. And this most recent term was the most uh, conservative term in almost 100 years. We talked about a bunch of these decisions, Mm -hmm. Chris. I mean, they overruled uh, Roe v. Wade uh, uh, 50 years after it was decided, that sort of thing. And so, you know, it's uh, a hot-button issue at the moment, some of the others I, I'm less concerned about. You know, I, I do think uh, uh, you'd have to amend the Constitution to eliminate life tenure. Right. But I do think if you give like an 18-year term, that, that's long enough. And the framers never thought that that people would be living as long as they do. Sure. And so yeah. we have, you know, justices serving into their 80s and, and all of that. And, you know, God bless them for living that long. But, um that's an awful long time to hold power. Yeah, there is, there's a lot of really interesting uh, components to this. Um, one of the things that I, I tend to come back to when people talk about reforming the court, if the impetus for reforming the court is some sort of dissatisfaction about a dysfunctional way that Congress uh, will uh, approve the president's nominees or not approve the president's nominees, as the case may be, uh, then isn't your beef with that process and not with the court itself? I mean, are we uh, trying to address the wrong problem here? Uh, yes and no. And um, by, by yes, I mean, what the, and I've written the talk I'm going to give uh, next week at Finley, but you know, my ultimate conclusion is uh, we need to stop playing partisan politics uh, with the Supreme Court appointment process. Mm-hmm. And if we were making merit-based appointments, uh, it wouldn't need to be reformed. Yeah. And then the no part of your thing is some of the justices themselves have been problematic in their testimony in the Senate confirmation hearings. And I wrote an op-ed this summer where I essentially uh, uh suggested that uh, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch should be removed from the court because of my reading of the hearing. They lied about their position on Roe. And like Roe or dislike Roe, if the Senate asks you a question about it, either say, I'm not going to answer it and suffer the consequences for that, mm-hmm. or tell the truth. Yeah, And they made it abundantly clear uh, that it was well-settled precedent and they wouldn't overrule it. 
And, of course, we all know that they did just the opposite. Yeah. Um, and, and does part of this go back, and again, I am not an attorney, but I do know that there are times when an attorney or a judge will recuse themselves from a case out of the appearance of impropriety. And I'm wondering, do we have some of that going on right now uh, within the, the Supreme Court, that it's not so much impropriety itself, but the appearance of impropriety? And how do you address that within the context of the Supreme Court? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question. And it's not just Supreme Court justices that need to appear to be uh, impartial, and you underline the right word there. It's not just that they are, in fact, or are not, in fact, impartial, but if they appear, if there's a good faith concern that they don't appear to be impartial, they should step out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there are uh, codes of judicial conduct that suggest that, but they don't apply to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Right? They're, they're in, the, the Supreme Court regulates itself, and that's another problem so that's so those are really the the three reforms that we hear most often uh that some sort of uh, code of ethics uh additional seats or perhaps even removing seats but more often you hear about adding additional seats to the supreme court and then uh implementing term limits what's the likelihood that any of those will come to pass or at the end of the day is this all just much ado about nothing I think the odds are very low. Uh, Biden has already said that he's not going to uh, uh, agree to uh, uh, increase the size of the court. So uh, even though, as you correctly pointed out, that could be done by statute, he'd veto the bill, apparently. You'd have to amend the Constitution to uh, put in term limits, and mm-hmm. that's very difficult to do no matter what the issue is. It doesn't right. have to be about the judiciary. And then um, an, another, uh, um, another one would be age limits. Right. A lot of states, including Ohio, by the way, have an age limit. So if a judge hits a certain number, uh, usually it's about 70, uh, they have to retire. And that's not true in the Constitution for the uh, federal judges. And so sometimes that's a problem. You know, as as people age, uh, a lot of people, you know, uh, lose a little bit on their fastball. So if someone's in their 90s, Mm -hmm. you know, some people are really still with it in their 90s but other people are slipping a little bit and um so maybe there should be age limits it has to amend the constitution though again, to do it yeah again they uh, involve a constitutional amendment really a fascinating topic and uh, should be an interesting discussion again uh the constitution day event at the university of finley is happening a week from uh today 7 p.m on uh the 14th wednesday the 14th next uh, wednesday ritz auditorium on old main it is open to the public and if you uh, have any interest at all uh in all of this especially uh being so timely uh right now it should be a very uh, fascinating discussion again dr scott gerber with us this morning professor at the ohio northern university pettit school of law and associated scholar with brown university political theory project scott thanks very much for taking the time we look forward to the uh, presentation uh, you're welcome. And just also, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. Definitely. Uh, we'll want to check that out. <laughs> thanks, Scott. All right. Thanks, Chris.
Well, it won't be long before we make the transition from cooling our homes to heating our homes. And so it's a good time to talk about proper maintenance of your home heating and cooling system, especially given that the cost of both is going up. Joining us this morning is home renovation and home improvement expert Anthony Carino for Train Residential. And Anthony, you point out that maintaining your HVAC system should be a year-round thing, not just something you think about a couple of times a year. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of your, it's one of the most, uh, expensive systems in your home relative to, to all the other, uh, to all the other components in that house. So maintaining it on a, on a ongoing basis is going to extend the useful life of the machine, uh, of the system, number one. And number two, it's going to operate more efficiently. So you'll be spending less month over month on utilities. So what should we be doing in terms of DIY uh, tips? What should we uh, do when it comes to maintenance uh, on the uh, system? Yeah, so this is very easy stuff. And when I say easy, I mean no tools required kind of easy. Um, so it, it is a complicated mechanical system. I, I don't suggest that anybody but a, but a certified professional should, should be poking around inside your HVAC system. The only thing that I really want you guys to do on, on, an, on an ongoing basis is change the filters in your system. So what does that mean? Uh, if you have somebody in the house with allergies, asthma, or you have a pet that sheds, uh, the recommended interval is 30 to 45 days. And if you don't have any of those three conditions in your home, the recommended interval is every 90 days. So basically every quarter when the season changes, the idea here is that the more the filter gets clogged up, the harder the air handler part of your HVAC system needs to work in order to pull that air in, condition it for heating or cooling, and then spit that air back out the registers into the various rooms in your home. So if we change the filter regularly, we allow air to pass through it more easily. We thereby allow the the system to operate more efficiently, and then we extend the useful life of that system. For context, replacing your HVAC system can cost anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000. Filters are going to cost you about five bucks a pop. Yeah. So doing that maintenance on a regular basis is is a no brainer way to extend the life of of that system. So that is first and foremost uh, that we need to do uh, again year round, uh, but certainly we start thinking about it right now. Uh, we also hear a lot of advice on you know making sure that it's uh, that the system is cleaned, uh, dust and debris can gather uh, in the system, that uh, duct work needs to be cleaned from time to time. Uh, is that something we should really be leaving to the pros, or what are, are some of the other things that we need to do on a regular basis and and call the experts in to yep. help? with the maintenance on that end. You got it. So ductwork cleaning, you can really limit if you're changing your filter regularly. Um, you, you could all but eliminate it. Um, but if you do need to clean ductwork, there are specialty, comp- specialty companies that do that, and they have special tools that, that they'll use um, to, to crawl through your ductwork, not something you want to take on by yourself. Um, the other part of the maintenance of your system is pretty awesome because someone else is going to do it for you. All you got to do is make the phone call. So the idea here is that you should have your system serviced twice a year, spring and fall. We do it in the temperate seasons because in the high seasons, the hot, hot summer, the cold, cold winter, that's when the folks who are not listening to my advice <laughs> have catastrophic 
system failures and are calling the uh, the pros to to come for emergency service. Oh my God, it's a hundred degrees. I don't have air conditioning. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. You want to avoid that. So if we do regular maintenance, it does two things. First and foremost, these techs are able to identify problems before they come big problems. They're able to maintain your system. I always equate it to, to a doctor's visit. It's way better to have the doctor say, hey, man, your cholesterol is getting a little high. You might want to take it easy on the French fries, as opposed to winding up on the operating room table because you had a heart attack. Right. You never went for a checkup. So it, it, it's as simple as that. It, it's worth the money twice a year. In the spring, you're having your AC, your air conditioning maintained. In the fall, you're having the heat component uh, maintained. And these professionals are going to be able to identify a small problem before it comes a big problem. That's, that's the ultimate goal there. Now, for anyone who is facing the decision of replacing a home heating system, as you pointed out, this is not a uh, this is not a small decision. It's one that you want to uh, definitely think very long and hard about. Any advice on gas versus electric uh, home heating options? I know a couple of years ago, gas would have been a no-brainer given the cost difference, but <laughs> gas especially has become more expensive the past couple of years. Have the scales tipped on that, and are there concerns? considerations other than cost that we should take into account? Yes, yes, and yes. You, you, you nailed it. Um, so all, all those things, great question. Um, so I, I should say up front, like I am a big train fan. Uh, I have a, a train system in my house. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the, the testing standards that, that, that they utilize are rigorous. Uh, if you haven't seen uh, their trains testing, check out their YouTube channel. They put their equipment through some of the harshest environments on the planet. Uh, and the stuff keeps running. They also utilize a lot of technology. They utilize a lot of high-quality components. I and a lot of other people consider them uh, to be the end-all, be-all when it comes to HVAC systems. Now, when it comes to uh, the 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 utility that you're going to use to heat to heat your home specifically, heat electric heat pump or a gas furnace. Train recently, a few years ago now. Um, and I put one in my house in the Catskills, uh, they came out with what's known as a dual fuel unit. So that is a heat, an electric heat pump integrated with a gas furnace. Hmm. And the cool thing here is that it knows automatically when to use which heat source so that your system runs most efficiently. So for a little additional edification for your listeners, uh, an electric heat pump runs very, very efficiently so long as the exterior temperature is above 40 degrees. Once you drop below 40 degrees, that electric heat pump has to work twice, three times as hard to maintain those, t- those, those warm temperatures inside your home. Mm-hmm. That's when it's more efficient, even with gas being the price that it is, that's when it's more efficient to switch to uh, a gas furnace. So that system being able to switch automatically between the two fuel sources I've seen my utility bills uh, drop quite considerably depending on, on, you know, how hot or cold it may be in a given month. Um, so all of that is to say, I think you're right. The research up front is, is very important. And I would go further to say that there is a pretty direct correlation to investing in quality equipment up front so that your utility bills are, are lower over time. And that is some math you want to sit down and, and do because, you know, you're paying that utility bill every month, 
whereas you're paying that uh, the, the you know the cost of that system once if it's done properly. Right. Uh, so some great advice there. Again, it's something that we're starting to think about as we uh, uh, get into the uh, transition into the cooler weather season. Home renovation and home improvement expert Anthony Carino for Train Residential with us this morning. Where do we get more information, more tips and advice, maintenance uh, info, and all of that? Yeah, so if you head over to Train's website, it's trane.com slash residential, train.com slash residential. Uh, they've got all the info on that dual fuel system I was talking about, and they have a ton of helpful educational articles uh, throughout their site. Anthony, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Uh, this is, if you're going to impersonate a cop, uh, you got to be careful because that is, uh, that's, that's risky. You got to know uh, who you are impersonating a cop in front of. A, a man impersonating a police officer allegedly pulled over a real off-duty officer. (laughs) And that got him into some trouble. Uh, This is in uh, Adams County, Colorado, where Deputy Gilbert Abdullah said he was driving along Interstate 76 when a Dodge Durango turned on what appeared to be police lights and attempted to pull him over. Uh, He, at least at first, decided to play along and uh, pulled over the side of the road uh, Abdullah said the uh, uh, vehicle pulled over and um, a uh, man was wearing a security shirt and carrying a badge walked up to his vehicles, uh, walked up to his vehicle. At that point, uh, Deputy Abdullah identified himself as a real officer and detained the other man until police, the real police arrived. <laughs> Uh, the guy was arrested on charges of impersonating a, a police officer. This let that be a story to you. If you <laughs> impersonate a police officer, very bad luck to actually pull over a real police officer. <laughs> uh, speaking of shenanigans involving cops, a North Carolina woman is in custody after stealing a police cruiser. <laughs> I mean, stealing a car is a big no-no, but stealing a police cruiser, even more so. According to uh, news reports, the uh, woman hopped into the cop car as the officer was talking with someone else during a traffic stop. Uh, The woman led uh, the cops on a high-speed chase then up Highway 74 from Shelby, North Carolina, into Gastonia, at times reaching speeds of 140 miles an hour. Suspect stopped at a uh, in a parking lot, but officers then had to smash the windows of the cruiser to pull her out as she refused to exit the vehicle. <laughs> she just refused to get out. <laughs> uh, in what universe did she think that was going to end well for her? I mean, that's the thing that I wonder sometimes about people. In what universe did you think that this was going to end well? I'm going to have a happy ending. Uh, This is our uh, viral video story of the day uh, on social media. The award for worst birthday theme for a toddler goes to a TikTok user uh, named Janet 
uh, goes by Janet Zapata 31 on TikTok. Uh, she threw her one-year-old a satanic-themed birthday party <laughs> and, posted, and posted video of the event. I mean, we're talking about uh, idols, pentagrams, lots of black decor. Should not be surprising, uh, considering the little one's name is Lilith, uh, whom in religious folklore is depicted as Satan's wife or the mother of demons. The uh, child was also dressed in all black for her dark birthday. First birthday party. The, uh, the video uh, has uh, gone viral with over two, like two and a half million views. While some are applauding the creativity of the theme, others are uh, shaming the mom for her poor taste. The religious side of TikTok has seized upon the video and is accusing the mom of sacrificing her daughter. Mother, however, is defending the birthday party theme and has also come to say, come out to say that neither she nor her family are Satanists. Um, so I guess was the whole thing just a ploy to get attention? I don't know, but uh, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Worst birthday theme for a toddler ever. Definitely will not be winning any Mother of the Year awards, I don't think. Uh, this is kind of odd, kind of an unusual story here. A New York City bishop who was robbed of $1 million in jewelry while giving a sermon, while giving a sermon, he was uh, robbed last July. I think I remember hearing about this. Uh, he was robbed right at the pulpit in the middle of the service. The robbers got a $75,000 Rolex, crosses that were dipping in precious gems, and other stuff. A million dollars worth of stuff the robbers got away with. Or did they? Now, uh, some internet investigators are claiming that the flashy minister is still wearing the same bling and that he is involved in a, uh, a whole scheme to defraud. Uh, another online personality claims that the bishop who has done time in the past for identity theft and grand larceny, uh, is collaborating with gang members and may even be dealing drugs. A lot of uh, controversy surrounding this. Uh, the uh, minister, Bishop Lamore Miller Whitehead, is suing these internet detectives for $20 million each, claiming that their statements are false and defamatory and are undermining his church and his business activities. <laughs> Well, I think that's what they are taking exception to, his business activities. What exactly are his business activities? That's what they want to know. Uh, so much more to that story, apparently. And finally, in the broken news this morning. Now, I'm not sure whether this is an example of somebody who's having a bad day or a very good day. You could look at it either way. A fisherman in Brazil survived 11 days stranded in the Atlantic Ocean by taking refuge inside of a freezer. Uh, Romaldo Macedo Rodriguez was on board a sinking boat when he noticed that the freezer was not sinking. It was floating. And so he decided to jump inside and turn it into sort of a life raft of sorts. 
He said at, uh, at one point, he was surrounded by sharks there in the middle of the ocean, but they couldn't get to him through the freezer, so they eventually swam away. The 44-year-old, uh, who says he doesn't know how to swim, so this was literally a matter of life and death, remained at sea in the freezer for 11 days until another fishing boat uh, found him and pulled him on board. He was taken to the hospital for treatment. He's going to be fine. He said, uh, I thought for a time that I wouldn't be around to tell my story, but here I am. Wow, that is crazy. Again, I don't know whether that's uh, (laughs) being stranded for 11 days in a freezer in the middle of the ocean uh, after uh, being involved in a shipwreck, or whether that's a bad day or a good day that you survived to tell about it. Crazy story, one way or the other. There you go. Uh, That is today's Broken News Report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. Brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Oktoberfest Finley is back September 24th from 2 to 10.30 downtown. This family-friendly festival has become one of the largest single-day events in Hancock County. It includes live traditional German music and entertainment, a variety of contests, authentic German food from vendors like Schmidt's Sausage House, the Kinderplatz Kids Zone, and a selection of more than 40 domestic and German beers. Admission is $5 for 21 and over, $3 under 21. Visit OktoberfestFinley.com for more info. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. They call them the boomerang kids, adult children who moved back home into their parents' uh, house during the pandemic. And a new survey from LendingTree finds that the majority of them are still there nearly, well, more than now, more than two years later. This was a survey they asked 1,300 parents, millennials, and Gen Zers, and they found that 32% of the younger adult Americans who moved back in with their parents during the pandemic, uh, of those, 32%, one in three, those adult children, moved back in with their parents during the pandemic, and of those, two-thirds, 67%, still live there. Uh, More than half of them said that the move back home was done out of necessity and uh, many are now focused on paying off their debt whether that's credit card debt or student loan debt whatever it might happen to be and the other priority is saving up to buy a home uh, instead of shelling out rent month after month socking that away for their own home just under one quarter 23 percent say they move back home to save up for retirement And among the parents, 85% said that they would let their children move back in as adults or have already done so. Uh, And 73% said that they would not charge rent uh, to their kids if they came back. However, the majority did say that they would expect them to pull their own weight in terms of helping out with household expenses, helping out with the household chores, and so on. And most importantly, they would expect their adult children to have a job if they move back in. We're not letting you mooch off of us here. So don't look now, but we're past Labor Day. School is back in session. Pools are closing up. We're packing away the 
bathing suits and the tank tops and the flip-flops and breaking out the sweaters. Starting to see the Halloween decorations and Halloween candy pop up on store shelves. The Hallmark Channel is already promoting their uh, Christmas slate of movies. The long and short of it is winter is coming. It's right around the uh, corner. And uh, with weather emergencies becoming more frequent and more severe, it seems, we ask the question, are you Red Cross ready? Todd James in the North Central Ohio chapter of the American Red Cross is with us. You've got a, a workshop coming up next week uh, to make sure that people are Red Cross ready for whatever Mother Nature happens to throw at us this winter. Yes, we do. September is uh, preparedness month, so it's a, a great time. To make sure that you and your family are ready for whatever may happen, mm-hmm. uh, and, and a, you know, weather emergency, man-made emergency, whatever. If you find yourself in a situation where uh, you may have to evacuate your home quickly, not mm-hmm. be able to get back in for a few days, or you may be isolating in your home for a few days, yeah, you need to be ready. <laughs> be either extreme, either extreme. Right. You want to make sure that you've got all the supplies you need. Uh, that'll just, you know, the basic stuff that you and your family are going to need for a few days in whatever situation you find yourself in. And the uh, the old Farmer's Almanac says it's going to be a uh, cold and snowy <laughs> winter, so if you can believe that. Uh, w- we talk about this uh, usually a couple of times a year. In the spring, we're heading into storm season, and then in the autumn, when we're looking ahead to winter storms, is the process of preparation pretty much the same regardless of the season? It really is. So what we're going to talk about on uh, Tuesday night will be at the Hancock Hotel. Uh, they are partnering with us to offer this free community B Red Cross Ready program. Uh, so we're going to set up in the ballroom starting at 530. It's a free program. Uh, you're welcome to come join us uh, and find out how to take three easy steps to be Red Cross Ready, which are to get a kit, to make a plan, and to be informed. And so we're going to cover those. We're going to talk about, you know, getting your kit. What does your family need in a family emergency kit, a grab-and-go kit, whatever you want to call Mm it. Uh, How to make plans, uh, which is really a vital part of knowing what you and your family are going to do in an emergency before the emergency happens. Right. And then making sure that you know how you're going to have uh, good information before, during, and after a disaster. So let's talk a a little bit about uh, each of those parts of that uh, of that plan in terms of a having a kit some of that is going to be universal some of it is going to be different for every family i would imagine yeah you know again the whole idea of the family emergency kit is to have the basic things that you and your family will need and we plan for say three days Uh, again this is a a kit that you can grab and go if you're getting out of the house and taking it with you Uh, Or if you are, uh, say you're going to shelter in place for a few days, having the basic things you're going to need. Some of the things, as you said, um, everybody can easily have food, water, some of these, and then some Mm -hmm. more personal type things or personalized. uh, Do you have uh, infants? Do you have folks with special needs, medicines, things like this? Right. So we're going to talk about, you know, the whole point being that most of the stuff you need, you already have, but you don't have it in one place where it's packed and Mm -hmm. ready to go at a moment's notice because when a disaster happens we usually don't get a whole lot of warning yeah uh and so it's not a case of hey i've got 20 minutes to go around and find this and pack it and find that a packet Mm -hmm. it's a matter of i got two minutes to get my family and get safely out of the house and and even in those events where you've got an emergency where you're going to be stuck at home maybe you're snowed in uh, you might think, oh, it's not as important to have it all in one spot. But what happens if the uh, power is out in the middle of the night, the lights go out, 
and you don't know where to find everything. You got to go fumbling exactly. around for everything. If it's again, if it's in one spot, you can easily find it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So we're going to go over how to pack your family emergency kit. What needs to go in it? What mm. could go in it if you want to add it? But those basic things that everybody needs to make sure they have good and places to keep ready it. To go. And, you know, so that they're ready. You know, the other uh, thing, and I, we've talked about this uh, in the past, and it's worth mentioning that even for those who have a kit, you may be thinking, "Oh, well, I'm all set. I've got one of these." Uh, even non quote unquote non perishable things do have a shelf life. Oh I yeah, mean, you know, you, you bottled water is only going to last so long, and then it needs to be replaced. Yeah, and, yeah and that's you know, and that's part of what we talk so. about is you know is with yeah. making your kit and you know you need to make sure that you're checking it and and replenishing it uh, mm-hmm. every now and then. Good yeah. time again. You know, we kind of tie everything in with the clocks. So you know, we talk about uh, making sure that we're checking our smoke alarms. We set the clocks ahead. And then again, when we set them back, a good time to do uh, some of these, other, like checking my family emergency kit, mm-hmm. running my family through our emergency escape plan. That's one of the other things we'll talk about is right. what what kind of plans do you have in place? If, if you're all home and an emergency happens, uh, have you developed an emergency escape plan in case of a home fire or another emergency? Um, or if something happens and you're all over the place, you know, mom or dad right. are, are at work, the kids are at school, somebody's at the store and you can't get home. What's your plan mm-hmm. for communicating with each other where yeah. you're going to meet things like this? It's hard to imagine every possible scenario, but I would imagine that the best plan is one that is flexible based on whatever scenario that you can't imagine. Yeah, and, and you you know, we're not talking anything real complicated here. It, it's not, uh, you know, you're not going to have to everybody carry a, a three-ring binder full of plans around <laughs> with them because it does need to be something that everybody can easily remember and mm-hmm. and, and easily do. Um, but you know, it's just as simple as saying, Hey, if we get separated and something happens, let's all plan on meeting at the library mm. uh, or another place yeah. or we're all going to call aunt Mary and let her know we're okay. And she'll kind of be our go between because sometimes, especially in an emergency, a climate emergency, you know, you have a big weather event and, um, you lose cell towers, uh, phones, yeah. your signals get jammed because everybody's trying to use their phone. It's sometimes it's easier to call outside of the affected area than inside the area. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's, it's having those discussions and making sure that everybody knows what the plan is. Yeah. Um, I would imagine the other thing that you fight is the idea that, uh, geez, we're doomsday preppers here. <laughs> and, and that's not it yeah. at all. We do need to be prepared for uh, emergencies that can and have happened uh, in the past. And, you know, we got to take it seriously. You know, the the fact is that, you know, we are and have been seeing for several years in a row now uh, weather emergencies are getting more frequent mm-hmm. and they're getting worse. You know, I remember when we had the uh, huge uh, amount of rain and flooding in Louisiana back in 2016 and we we're all like, wow. That's a, a once in a life. Never seen anything like that. Never will again. Mm-hmm. Then comes Hurricane Harvey. Yeah. And 50 some inches of rain over a few. Wow. We'll never see. And then here comes the next one. I mean, they're, they're yeah. getting worse. They're getting bigger and more frequent. Uh, in Ohio, you know, we are fairly blessed weather wise here. Uh, if you take a look at uh, the rankings that we look at of the danger of climate um, disasters across the states, Ohio comes in pretty low, like 49th or 50th mm. in relatively a yeah. safe area to live in. Um, Kentucky, right down there with us. Well, look, you know, look at what happened in Kentucky. I mean, I've been down there twice myself in the last year and a half to 
uh, devastating floods in the same area and in between there, deadly tornadoes sweeping through western Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Um, It can happen. It is happening everywhere, and it can happen at any time. And, uh, yeah, we've uh, had that happen when, you know, we've had level three snow emergencies here and haven't been able to get out. Uh, People have been hunkered down at at home just, you know, within the past— Several years. Yeah, so. exactly. Now, again, this uh, workshop, if folks uh, want to uh, take advantage of this, it's free. It's happening uh, Tuesday of next week, right? Yeah, and you know, we want to thank uh, Marathon Petroleum. Their support is helping make this possible, and, and the Hancock Hotel is hosting this for us free of charge. We're going to be in the ballroom. It'll start at 530. Uh, they're providing some complimentary refreshments for everybody, so we appreciate that. Uh, we'll have a, a free little gift for our first 100 guests coming in with a little uh, personal Red Cross first aid kit that you'll take home with you. And you don't need to register. We are asking folks if they would, if they can, pre-register. If they know they're coming, that'll help us make sure we've got seating for everybody. Uh, but you don't have to register. Just show up Tuesday, uh, 13, 530 at the Hancock Hotel. Um, if you would like to pre-register, you can email Ohio at redcross.org. Or call us at 422-9322 and just say, hey, here's my name, my email, and I'm planning on being there. Good deal. We've got a link up for more information at our webpage as well. Again, Todd James, the North Central Ohio chapter of the American Red Cross. Get ready for winter weather and whatever Mother Nature is going to throw at us. Todd, thanks very much. Hey, thank you, Chris. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. Also connect with us on social media, sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. Again, goodmornings.net, our little corner of the World Wide Web. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. 